I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. Pianist Pandelis Kariorgis has spent nearly 40 years here in the U.S. developing a distinctive voice that extends from the foundations built by such heroes as Thelonious Monk and Paul Blay. While much of his work has emerged from the creative scene centered in Greater Boston, he also has long-standing connections in Chicago, which include noted instigator Dave Rempis, who has assisted here in assembling a brand new group of bold improvisers. My guest today is Pandelis Kariorgis, who will be in Madison uh, coming up very shortly with a stellar group of improvisers at the North Street Cabaret. Um, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. You moved to the U.S. from Greece when you were in your early 20s. Can you take us through what that was like for you and then maybe talk about where you went from there? I know you're in Boston uh, but you also spent some time in Chicago, um, right? So I came. I came from uh, from Greece. Like you said, my family wouldn't let me. Well, not they wouldn't let me, but they they were they didn't like the idea of me going to study music right away. So they wanted me to study something quote useful. So I had to go to the university in Greece first before I was able to come here. I see. Until you had sort of the autonomy to pursue your own own path, right? The rest was just to appease my family, and finally, when when the when the years were up, I came here and I went to New England Conservatory for an undergraduate degree, and then I went back to Greece for two years, and then I came back for my graduate degree, and I've stayed here ever since. Um, I had uh, I was working a lot with uh, Nate McBride, who was also working with Ken Vandermark and so forth. So that was uh, so that was my introduction to the Chicago scene and I came, I made several trips to Chicago and then when, and I met uh, people like uh, Dave Rempis and and countless others. It was a very, very welcoming scene. And um, I, I haven't lived there, but I have played there more than I have in New York, for example. Your music covers a wide spectrum in the world of jazz and improvised music. How do you structure your various projects do you have a notion of what you want to do and then assemble the players to do it? Or do you start by knowing who will be involved and then work to their strengths? It's the it's a little bit of, of both. Um, you're right that, that it, my music does cover a, um, um, a wide range. So for specific projects, I will, I will choose people who can, who are more, um, uh, who, who will add more to that project uh, and, and who will help me build on that. Uh, I, I try to, to, um, to use them as, as, uh, as the catalyst, you know, for, for, for the music to come through. So um, yeah, it goes both ways, basically. Who were some of your early influences? Uh, certainly Thelonious Monk, Don Pullen, who else did you look to, um, pianists or otherwise, as you were developing your voice on the piano, and as an improviser and a composer? 
Right. So Thelonious Monk was, like you noted, was very important. You can hear that right away. And then uh, um, Paul Blay was another one, uh, very much so. Um, and um, later on, um, even though that's not so obvious, uh, Lenin Tristano, who's kind of uh, belongs to a whole other uh, school of thought, but but uh, that was that was another major influence. The piano as an instrument, I think, has an interesting place in this music, be it in freely improvised music or, you know, the modern interpretation of jazz or new music, if you will. It's an instrument designed to play tonal music. What techniques do you employ to play music that has a strong microtonal component? I know you studied with one of the legends of microtonal music, Joe Maneri, mm -hmm. and you've collaborated with Matt Maneri and many others who are known for playing microtonally. Right. Well, um, um, you're, you're right. There are, there are, um, there are things you can do that uh, obscure tonality. Obviously, you cannot bend the pitch on the piano, but but with um, I I think I think uh, a component of Joe's teaching was not just bending the pitch, but creating uh, um, rhythms, uh, playing a micro rhythm, so to speak, or what he used to call snake time. As a drummer, maybe you will uh, understand. You will relate to this, but uh, his his idea was that um, a new pitch language uh, has to be accompanied by a new rhythmic language as well. So he wanted to get away from the um, sometimes stiff language of uh, uh, rhythmic language of twentieth uh, century music, uh, even though he was his teacher. Joe, Joe Maneri's teacher was uh, was uh, uh, a student of uh, of um, of the Second Viennese School, and that was like at the one of the sources of everything. That Second Viennese School, you know, rhythmically uh, doesn't translate well to jazz. Uh, so you need to create your own rhythms and so forth. And and from that logic of um, of uh, a tonality, Joe went to the next level of exploring the within the pitches. So at the piano, I think uh, by using the right, uh, getting in in the right kind of groove and uh, employing clusters and and uh, and chords that mm, that are a little ambiguous and so forth, you can go a long way towards that. You have what I would consider to be. A prolific recording career. Um, you started. You started out recording for a number of small boutique labels like Leo, Cadence, Hatology, Clean Feed, New Scope, for example. And now you're releasing music on your own label, Drift. Right. First question is, what's the business model of these smaller labels? What advantages or disadvantages do they have for the artist? And second, what advantages does having your own label provide you? Right. So. Uh... Um, we started this, uh, our, our record company, Drift Records, with uh, your Dijkstra uh, about 10 years ago. And we did it mostly so that we can uh, uh, put out our own projects. So we're not, we're not a real record label as in, you know, accepting or promoting other people's music. Don't, don't send any unsolicited submissions, <laughs> in other words. <laughs> um, 
So, so it, it gives you the the opportunity, you know, to to promote your own music on your own uh, on your own calendar, your own terms, you know, uh, have a unified uh, um, approach to the graphic design, the presentation, the the recording, and so forth. Um, it is it is also great to to work with. Uh, I mean, some of these labels you mentioned. Uh, are terrific labels, you know, uh, like Hatology and Clean Feed and and lots of these and and the people uh, who run them are dedicated and uh, inspiring individuals. And sometimes they they have ideas for cool projects and and you know make things happen. And they can also distribute in uh, in different parts of the world and and so forth. So it's good to do a little bit of both. I think I think uh, Drift Records was a way for us to have a little bit more independence. But um, I'm still releasing every now and then on on a different label when I get a chance. Mm-hmm. It, it's curious. It seems like the business. You know, it's always evolving. It's always changed. It's changed so much since, you know, in the last 25 years. How do you handle distribution and and things? Do people buy CDs these days or is it all digital distribution? You're absolutely right. But people, there are people who seem to still be buying CDs. Uh, so you're right, though, that... Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, think, I think a lot of uh, serious listeners want to have the cd want to have the the want to have the lp i haven't done any lps yet but i know that is that is a great thing to do um even cassettes but in any case yes you're right uh, the the medium is is vanishing but it's still it's still there and and I, my first my first release was actually in the pre cd era so i i started off with a vinyl record mm. <laughs> that's great well from what I hear, creating vinyl these days is very, very difficult and expensive. So right. good good luck with that, I guess. I'm glad you mentioned the sort of unified graphic design because that's something that I notice right away. I don't know if I'm more tuned into that or whatever, but I definitely notice how each of the releases has this unified appearance. That's something that Dave Rempis is doing with his Aerophonic uh, label as well, which to me really stands out. Yes, absolutely. And Dave, Dave's uh, Dave's company is a is a star to follow. It's a great it's a great example. We're uh, you know inspired by what he does. Do you want to plug your designer at all? Um, the designer is uh, is Jorts brother who lives in uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, his name is uh, Hide Dijkstra. Dijkstra. Yes. Let's move on and talk about the band you'll be performing with here in Madison. This is yourself with Dave Rempis, Jacob Heinemann, and Bill Harris. You've played with Dave Rempis quite a bit. He's from Boston originally. Did you happen to cross paths with him back then or only in Chicago? Uh, No, uh, it started in Chicago. So so I I didn't know him when he was here. What would you like to tell us about the band and, you know, the repertoire or the other players? So, so uh, Dave helped uh, helped put together the band. I mean, we discussed uh, how how it would be, and we decided it would be a good idea uh, to play with some uh, to open up the and play with some newer people that that I hadn't played with before. And um, I'm super excited about this because both uh, Jacob and Bill are amazing 
amazing players. So there is a um, there is a, a, a challenge and uh, an excitement that comes uh, from playing with people for the first time. So um, there is a depth and uh, uh, that comes from playing uh, from prolonged uh, collaborations. But but there's also a spark uh, from from something new. It's uh, so I'm really looking forward to this. Nice. Um, my understanding is that you're doing two dates. I guess the first one is in Chicago, and then the second one is in Madison. Correct. Elastic is on the 29th. I mean, the first one is at uh, Elastic Arts in Chicago on the 29th, Thursday, and then um, uh, Saturday, July 1st in Madison. So are you guys getting together beforehand, or are you just going to hit the bandstand and uh, let the magic happen? That's it, the second one. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, your day gig, I think, is as a music director at a number of schools in the Cambridge area. Correct. So you're touring around the academic calendar, presumably. Um, yes. And you're doing a short run of dates that we just mentioned with this group. Do you do any other things to maximize the value of trips like this, or is it just do a couple dates and head home? Well, uh, uh, there, you know, I try to do recordings. I try to fit in more gigs as I can. And like earlier this uh, this spring. In March, I went to uh, Denmark and Sweden. Um, I hadn't done much uh, traveling since the pandemic, so I'm I'm hoping to pick up to pick that up. But yes, I, I try to to get little um, absences from from my day job and 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 uh, cram in as much as I can, performing wise. Mm. Anything else you want to plug before we wrap up? Any any new recordings? Any other collaborations on the horizon? Um, there there are uh, two new uh, two new recordings. Actually, three that we put out. They're still new. A year has not passed yet, so they came out in November. Um, one was um, a triple CD we made with Jeb Bishop and Damon Smith, who uh, who are. Uh, you know, uh, Jeb is back in Chicago and Damon is in St. Louis, so not too far. Um, so that's a, that's a CD that ha each each CD has a different duo. So one is uh, trombone, bass; one is trombone, piano; and the other one is uh, bass and piano. Um, so that's on the Drift label, and it's called Duels. And uh, I also did a trio CD of uh, Hassan Ibn Ali's music. Came out in November. Uh, Hassan is the legendary uh, Philadelphia pianist, very underrecorded, and some of his material came out last year. And uh, so we made a we made a record with Nate McBride, who's also familiar to uh, people in Chicago and uh, Luther Gray. And um, that's that's pretty much it. Final question, just for my own personal interest. I noticed that you, Matt Langley, is in. Uh, one of your ensembles you've recorded with him right but not charlie colhays it seems like they travel as a pair and i just was curious about where charlie is on your oh we have we have recorded with charlie it's uh, but it was a large ensemble it's a it's the cd called bathysphere and uh, so that was like a 15 member uh band and he's on that one and then uh we've done a lot of gigs on and off here in in Boston, for a while I was playing in his uh, Explorers group too, oh, and cool. uh, yeah. So we were actually 
uh, I, I first met him back in 88. So I've known Charlie for, for a long time. He's, he's a treasure here in Boston, both for his playing and his uh, radio shows and and uh, his advocacy in general. I met him on the road. And what I love about him is that whenever I release something, he always says, you know, he's always a champion. He always says, well, let keep keep it up, keep going. And so he's he's a treasure. Yeah, and a, and a knowledge base <laughs> for jazz. He, he's, he's quite encyclopedic about that. Well, Pendelis, Kariorgis, thank you so much for being on the Showbiz Roundup. Can't wait for your show here in Madison. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for having me. That's it for this edition of the Showbiz Roundup. Our theme music is a composition by me, performed by Outside the Sphere, an experimental duo consisting of Tony Barba and myself with special guest Sebastian Brennis on trombone. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Bluestem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org, and you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletickbuzz.com.